Well, we're in a, a, a series here for those of you that are visiting uh, called The Fruit That Makes a Marriage Great. And it's really a, a series about relationships. So whether you're married or single, I, I guarantee you're going to get something out of it. And I want to begin like I began each one of these. Uh, I want all of you, even over in the venue, if you're engaged, okay, you got a ring and a date, I want you to stand up right now. All the engaged couples here, stand up, ring and a date, whether your fiance is here or not. Okay, man, a whole bunch of you. Man, there was a bunch here last night. Father, thank you, Lord, for these that are standing. What an incredible time this is. I remember being engaged and all the stuff that goes along with that. I pray, Father, that you'd pour out your favor on each of these couples that are standing, Lord, each of these individuals. And as I've shared many times, the, the wedding day doesn't make um, a marriage, but it's a great way to kick one off. And I pray, Lord, that great honor and glory would be given to you on whatever their special day is. And I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, grab a seat. Had a couple here last night, Bo and Kate. Sat right down there. Bo plays guitar up here sometimes. And uh, last night he stood up as an engaged couple. Today he won't be able to do that because he's actually getting married today. So it's kind of fun. Next week we'll have some pictures of, of him and his wedding up on, the, up on the screen. All right, if you're married in here, all married couples, stand up. Over in the venue, if you're married, stand up, okay? I know some of your spouses aren't here, can't be here for whatever reason. Stand up. Father, thank you, Lord, for these that are standing. Some have been married a week, maybe a month, a year, a decade, or whatever, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would uh, protect each one of these marriages. You'd watch over each of them. And Father, I know that there's one or two or three here, and these marriages need, need, need a miracle. There's a couple of them here, I know, God, need, need miracles. And maybe today, Lord, you'd do something amazing in our midst. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. Now, that leaves one last group, those of you that are single. Maybe it's because you're young, you know, you're in high school, junior high, maybe you've been through a divorce or six, or you're a widow, uh, whatever. I want all the single folks, you stand up, okay? If you're single, over in the venue, stand up, okay? I've told you that statistically speaking, I, I, I don't really care or know why you're single, but statistically speaking, uh, you'll probably get married or get married again. Statistically speaking, I know that there are some who God will keep you single for the rest of your life, and that, that's okay. But statistically speaking, most of you will get married in here, and I've given you two words, and those words are? Choose wisely. Choose wisely. And I know that many of you throughout this series have been kind of thinking about maybe the person you've been dating. I've gotten some really neat emails from some guys and some gals who have said, you know what? I wasn't choosing that wisely. And you broke it off with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And that's a smart thing. I've also gotten some emails from some that got dumped, and they're not happy with me. <laughs> I don't care. Anyway, um, I really don't. Um, but, but, you know, the, the, the deal is you just, you just need to, to, to choose wisely. Choose wisely. Father, thank you for these that are standing. And I don't know whether they'll get married again. I don't know. But I do know, Lord, that, um, that you love them, you care about them, you got a great plan for their life, and most of them will marry, and I pray that they would choose wisely, God. I pray that you'd speak to each of them today as we walk through your word, and I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. Our, uh, our theme verse has been Galatians 5, 22 and 23 which says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there, there is no law. And so far we've looked at love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and then last week Pastor Bobby Fisher looked at uh, goodness and gentleness, and today we're, we're gonna look at faithfulness. And I want you to know that as I was kind of putting this whole thing together, this was the message that I was looking most forward to preaching on. But it was also the one that I dreaded the most. 
Um, you can't do a, a series on marriage and, and not talk about faithfulness. God's word says this, give honor to marriage. Give honor to it. And remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. The Bible says that we're to honor marriage. Honor it. And one of the greatest ways that you honor marriage is when you remain faithful to your spouse. And God says, when you make the choice not to remain faithful, there, there's a consequence that comes with that. Hebrews 13 verse 4 is a weighty verse. Being faithful to your spouse is a serious thing to God. I, I read a report this past week that blew me away. They, they estimate that roughly 30 to 60% of all married individuals in the United States will engage in infidelity at some point during their marriage. And they think that that's a conservative number. Now, the reason it blew me away was because nobody goes into a marriage with the intent on being unfaithful. Every couple, you know, when they get in a church or wherever it is and you know, all the groomsmen are lined up and all the gals are lined up and I'm standing there with the groom and all of a sudden the gal comes walking down the center aisle. They all have incredible hopes and dreams. They all believe that their marriage is gonna last forever and be filled with joy and happiness and all of those good things, right? But obviously something really crummy happens at least something really crummy happens to 30 to 60% of them. Now I realize that just me mentioning the word affair or adultery brings back some painful memories for some of you. I know it. Just the fact that I say that word, affair or adultery, is just super painful. Maybe your spouse had an affair on you and Man, it was, it was a year ago, it was a decade ago, but there's still a lot of pain that's wrapped up in that. And there should be a lot of pain. When two people come together and make vows to each other in front of a group of people in God and enter into a covenantal relationship and one of them is unfaithful, it should be painful. I know that some of you maybe were the one who uh, had the affair. You were the one that was unfaithful and just me mentioning those words brings back some really crummy, painful memories for, for you too. I want you to know the purpose of this message isn't condone you or judge you or put you down or dredge up your past or whatever. What we're gonna do is this, we're gonna look to the future we're gonna look at, at your future. It doesn't matter so much where you've been as to what direction your feet are, are headed in right now. Look, if you asked God to forgive you, you were unfaithful to your spouse, and you asked God to forgive you, the Bible is crystal clear that God forgave you. He's a God who forgives sin. He's a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. Adultery isn't, you know, the unpardonable sin, you know, and if you commit that one, you know, wow, you're, you're just, you know, you know, out for life. The Bible says that if you confess your sins, he forgives you. And so if you feel any guilt, that guilt is not from God. God forgave you. That guilt is coming from someplace else. It has a source someplace else. And like the great apostle Paul says, you need to take that cap, that thought captive. Because God doesn't heap guilt upon you when you've asked for forgiveness. 
Now, what I want to do is this. Uh, I want you to remember that God is the one who invented sex. He's the one that thought it up. Sex is a good thing. It's not a dirty thing. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. But like most things that God gave us, there are limitations to it. There are parameters that God puts around it. God says that sex is to be enjoyed between a man and a woman who have made vows to one another. They've entered into a, a covenant with, with each other. And if you obey God in that area, sex is a beautiful thing. It's an unbelievable thing. But if you choose to disobey God and go outside the parameters that he set up, it's a bad thing. It's a sinful thing. It causes guilt and shame and anguish and, and, and fear and embarrassment and all kinds of other relational problems. And what I want to do is, is, is this. Before I kind of give you some practical thoughts here, I want to set it up, uh, set up the message a little bit by just kind of laying out how an affair happens, how unfaithfulness happens. And I want you to play, pay close attention because some of you in this room right now, over in the venue, you're watching on, online, you're listening on the radio, you're really close to blowing it. Some of you know that. Some of you are here and in your mind, you know you're really close to dishonoring God with an affair. Some of you are here and you don't get it yet. So I want everybody to pay close attention. The first step is this, is you allow or you accept sinful thoughts into your mind. That's the first step. Adultery begins in your head long before it ever gets to the bed. If you lose the battle in your mind, you've lost the battle. So you got to learn to control your mind. If you allow sinful things, sinful thoughts to rattle around in your mind like a, like a pinball, wow, you're, you're well on your way to doing something really crummy. Something that will destroy your own personal life. It'll destroy your family. It'll destroy your, your kids. It'll destroy the name of of Christ. Some of you are there right now. Now, if you don't stop at this first step, you're going to go on to step two. And step two is you begin, you get involved in a non-physical or some sort of emotional relationship with, with somebody. Typically, you begin to start fishing for compliments or you start flirting or, you know, someone else begins to compliment you or whatever. And when this happens, let me tell you something. <laughs> you need to run for your life. You need to run. You need to run. You need to run! There is sorrow right around the corner. Incredible sorrow. Listen to me. The Bible teaches that flirting is wrong. And I want you to know why flirting is wrong. It's wrong because whenever you flirt with someone, you're arousing a desire in that person that you can't righteously fulfill. You can fulfill it. You just righteously can't fulfill it. That's why flirting's wrong. Now listen, husbands, wives, flirt away. In fact, in my humble opinion, more husbands and wives need to flirt. Nothing wrong with arousing the desires within your spouse. Nothing wrong with that. It's a beautiful thing. Just don't flirt with somebody that's not your spouse. Don't arouse a desire in someone that's not your spouse because you can't righteously fulfill that desire, you see. This week I prayed that the Holy Spirit would use this time to show some of you that you're at this step right now. You're here now. Got a little texting going on with some friends, you know, somebody you work with. You're allowing these sinful things just to keep bouncing around in your brain, and you're at step two. 
Now, you don't have to be a genius to know what the next step is. Step three. Step three is when you actually get involved physically. This is where a huge line gets crossed. You begin touching, kissing, hugging, intercourse, whatever. And once you've crossed this threshold, the chances of turning around and not hurting anybody is pretty, pretty slim. So the process begins in your mind, and if you don't deal with it there, it begins to kind of play itself out and flirting and all that kind of stuff. And if you don't deal with it then, then it just leads to actually having an affair. And then you get to step four, and this is where people become just stupid. And that is you begin to rationalize the affair. You, you just can't believe some of the things I've heard as people sit in my office and rationalize sin. We as human beings are great at pulling the wool over our own eyes. We can convince ourselves that anything is okay. We can talk ourselves into anything if we really want it bad enough. The great prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things. And when you begin to rationalize immorality, when you begin to rationalize uh, adultery, infidelity, <laughs> you just prove what the scriptures say. Your heart is dark and evil. It's beyond uh, your own you know, cure. You can't cure it on, on, on your own. Now what I want to do is, I, I want to get a little practical here, and I want to spend the remainder of my time just sharing with you a few ways that you can prevent an affair, or ways that you can remain faithful to your spouse. And like I said, maybe you've had an affair or six in your, in your past. I, I can't do anything about it. If you've asked God to forgive you, he forgave you. I want to look ahead. That's what I want to do right now. I want to give you some, some tools, some bullets for your gun, if you will, that you can use to make sure that you remain faithful the next go-around. For those of you that are uh, engaged, that you remain faithful when you say those vows. Now, for those of you that are sitting out there and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I love my spouse too much. Why'd I come today? You know, I don't need this message. I'd never have an affair. Well, I want you to know that God has a, a word for you, and that is this. If you think you are strong, you should be careful not to fall. Nobody, as I said earlier, nobody goes into a, a marriage thinking that they're going to fall. Nobody goes into a marriage thinking that they're going to have an affair. Nobody. And so if you're sitting out there thinking, well, it never happened to me. You're already in a bad place. So here we go. Let me give you just six things that will lessen the chances that you'll have an affair. Maybe another way of putting it is this is a way to affair-proof your, your, your marriage, okay? Number one, when you make a real commitment to God's standard of morality, it lessens the chances of an affair. When you make a real commitment that you're gonna live out God's standard of morality, it'll lessen the chances you'll have an affair. I'm not, look, Hollywood's got its standard of morality. The, the music industry has its standard of morality. The, the, the world has a standard of morality. Maybe your parents had a standard of morality. Maybe your grandparents have a standard of morality. It's when you say, I am going to allow this book, God's Word, to be the standard for my morality. Let me tell you something. That lessens the chance that you're going to have an affair. The Bible says this in Psalms 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young woman keep their way pure? How does an old man or an old woman keep their way pure? How can we not sin and have an affair, in other words? By living it according to your word. In other words, you make the commitment to live according to God's standard of morality. 
You gotta make the decision and say, Lord, I'm gonna live according to your word. I'm gonna make a commitment to live with God's standard of morality as my guide because if you don't make that commitment, (laughs) you're you're just toast. Other standards are gonna seep into your life, seep into your marriage. And let me tell you what God's standard of morality is. Proverbs 5 puts it in one nice, neat little sentence. Be faithful to your own wife and give your love to her alone. In one nice, neat little sentence, God says, that's the standard of morality that we all need to have. That you're faithful to your own wife, to your own husband. And you give your wife or your husband your love, period. This is God's standard of morality. And by the way, this isn't a suggestion, it's a command. God commands you to be faithful to your spouse. He commands you to give your love to your spouse and your spouse only. In the Song of Solomon, the woman says this to her man, close your heart to every love but mine. Hold no one in your arms but me. In other words, close your heart to every other love but your spouse. Hold no one else in your arms but your spouse. That's God's standard of morality. That you close your heart off, men, to any other gal but your wife. Women, you close your heart off to any other man but your husband. You don't hold anybody else in your arms but your spouse. God says, I invented sex for marriage, not before marriage, not outside marriage, not with somebody else you're you're, you're not married to. I invented sex for marriage. And the only time you're to engage in it is with your own spouse. Now obviously you, you do that or you did that at the moment that you got married. You, you made vows to each other in front of witnesses and, and in front of God. But I think one of the things we ought to do is, is, you know, once a week, once a month, you look at your spouse and say, you know what? I made a commitment to God's standard of morality that I would be faithful to you and you alone. And I want you to know, we've been married a month, and I'm still committed to that. No matter what we go through, I'm committed to that. And every year, you know, you say, I want you to know, I made a commitment to God's standard of morality, and I'm still committed to it. I want you to know, I know we're in a rough patch right now, but I'm committed to this. It needs to be spoken of more often. So the first thing you do is you make a commitment to God's standard of morality. Number two. When you meet the sexual needs of your spouse, it lessens the chance of an affair. I want you to listen to what God's word says. I know there's lots of people out there that think, you know, that God's approved when it comes to sex and all that kind of stuff. And when everybody, anybody ever says that, they obviously haven't haven't read the word of God. Because God's anything but approved when it comes to sex. Listen to what God's word says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Hey, that's in the scriptures? My gosh, never read that. But it goes on, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's why I'm in love with God. (laughs) He says, don't deprive each other of sexual relations. 
Unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourself more completely to prayer. In other words, there may be a time when you and your spouse go, you know what, we have a major thing going on in our marriage and let's pray and fast and let's put all of our energy towards praying and, and seeking the Lord. It could be a time and, and, and you know, praying for our government. You say, you know what, we are gonna take a little bit of time, we're not gonna eat, we're gonna fast, and we're just gonna devote ourselves, every bit of energy we got, to just simply seeking the Lord. Okay, but then it says, afterwards, you should come together again. Why? What, what bad could happen by a husband and wife not having sex together so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control? Whoa. Whoa. That's just, that's just some weighty stuff, man. In my opinion, there are two principles basically taught here in this verse, the principle of immediate response and the principle of regular habit. Anytime your spouse has a sexual need and they ask you to fulfill it, it's your responsibility to fulfill it as quick as possible. Because when a person's sexual desires aren't being met, it gives the enemy, Satan, a foothold in your life and in your marriage. That's what the Word of God says. I'm not saying it. I'm just telling you what God's Word says. Warren Worsby, who was a great theologian, said this, sexual love is a beautiful tool to build with, not a weapon to fight with. To refuse each other is to commit robbery and to invite Satan to tempt the partners to seek their satisfaction elsewhere. Yes, you have to fill, you know, you gotta be committed to God's standard of morality. You gotta be committed to that. But also there's a responsibility that a husband and a wife have to meet each other's sexual needs. Beloved, there are many needs that you have that can be fulfilled by, by somebody else. There are many needs that your spouse has that can be filled, you know, fulfilled by somebody else. You don't need your spouse to provide food for you. I have a need, a desire for food. I don't need my spouse to fulfill that desire. I have a, 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 a need for meaningful conversation. We all do. You don't need your spouse to fulfill that need. We all have a need for, I don't know, laughter and fun. But you don't need your spouse to fulfill that need. But when you got married, you made an exclusive contract that sex would be the one need that would only be satisfied by your spouse. Go have lunch with anybody you want. Have a conversation with anybody you want. Laugh and have a good time with anybody you want. But when it comes to sex, there's only one person that fulfills that need, and that's your spouse, period. Proverbs chapter five says this. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing to you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by your spouse's love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman? or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman. For the Lord sees clearly what a man does and he examines every path he takes. And you, that goes either way. This is just powerful. God says be satisfied with your wife. Be satisfied with your husband. Don't start to, to look to, to another man or another woman to have your sexual needs met. Don't do that. Don't compare your wife or your husband to somebody else because when you start doing that, it leads nowhere. Nowhere. You know why? Because even if you went after it and you grabbed somebody else's wife or somebody else's husband, there's always somebody else better out there. It just will never satisfy. And God says, hey, just let your wife be the one who satisfies you. Let your husband be the one who satisfies you. Number three, 
When you're careful about what you fill your mind with, it lessens the, 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 the chances of an affair. I want you to, to listen to these great words from the Apostle Paul. He says in Romans chapter 13, wake up, wake up, wake up. Some of you are sleeping, and I'm not talking about physically. Some of you are doing that. But I'm just talking about just wake up. Man, it's unbelievable how believers today are it's just asleep. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark, dirty deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, God says, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says this, and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Don't do it. We have desires that just run amok and they're evil. This side of glory, we got to deal with that. And the Bible says, you be careful what you dwell on. Be careful. And why does Paul tell us this? He tells us this because bad, evil, sinful things like adultery start, you know, with, with thoughts. In other words, wrong thoughts lead to wrong actions. Right thoughts lead to right actions. And God's word isn't saying you can't go out and have fun and hang out and be with people and laugh and party and all those kinds of things. You just got to be careful what you're, what you're thinking about, what you're dwelling on. Beloved, if you're serious about a fair proof in your marriage, there's some, probably some things on TV, radio, I don't know, movies that you can't watch anymore. We've all heard that old saying, you know, garbage in, garbage out, Right? And that's true. Psalms 101 says, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. And I was thinking this past week, you know, that was written 3,500 years ago. And I was thinking to myself, what was the vile thing that he was worried about putting in front of him? He didn't have TV. He didn't have the mall with Victoria's Secret and the soft porn that they put up in their windows. He, he didn't have any of that kind of stuff. What was the vile thing he was looking at? I don't know what it was. I just know if you fast forward the tape, here we are in the 21st century, there's a lot of crummy things, man. You got half-naked women selling cars, drive down the McHenry Avenue, and instead of saying, hey, buy my car, it's got a good, I don't know, tires and crankshaft and gets good gas mileage. No, no, no. You got to have a half-naked lady hanging across it. Instead of a guy saying, hey, we got really good hamburgers here, and they're priced really well. They got a sexy gal, you know, biting into them. And we're just sitting there watching it on TV going, eh, I'm hungry. I, I, I want to go get me a hamburger. Well, we just had dinner. Well, I don't care. I need a burger now. I don't, know, I don't even know why. It's weird. You, you, you can't hardly navigate life anymore without seeing, you know, stuff like that. Every one of us is being bombarded with sexual images every day, and the scary thing is that psychologists tell us that our subconscious never forgets anything. In fact, uh, last, uh, last night I did a little experiment. I'll, I'll do it with you in here real quick. I did it with the follow class, and maybe I've done it before. I, I don't know, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the line to a song, okay? And then all I want you to do is just say the next line, Okay? And this is a song that was written, I don't know, 20-something years ago. You haven't heard it, and you haven't heard the song in 20 years, but we'll give it a shot here. Okay, ready? Here we go. I'm going to say the line, and you just say the first thing out loud that comes to you. Okay? Eight, six, seven, five. Okay. You, you, know, you know what's weird is? You all have a whore's telephone number memorized. You see, that was, her name was Jenny, and she wrote that on a, it was written on a bathroom wall, and for a good time, you called that number. That song was written 20 years ago. You haven't heard that song in 20 years, some of you, but it's there, huh? You didn't sit down one day and say, I'm going to memorize that phone number. You just heard that song so many times, it's there. What else is there? 
What else has been tucked away in your subconscious that you don't even know is there? You see, we all have those moments when we can be in prayer with the Lord and some really crummy thought runs across our mind. Or maybe you were sitting here and all of a sudden just that weird thought, sinful, crummy thought runs through your mind. Where do those come from? They come from your subconscious that has just stored in it all kinds of images, thoughts, things, and there they are. And it's bizarre how our flesh can draw them out at times. Some of the weirdest spiritual, you know, moments. Here's the bottom line. You tell me what you're filling your mind with, and I'm going to tell you whether or not, a, a, you know, an affair is in your future. People just don't, you know, wake up one day and say, yeah, I'm going to have an affair. Like I said, it starts right here. And you got to be careful what you fill your mind with. N number four, when you're aware of the temptations that are out there, it lessens the, the chances of an affair. You got to kind of know you. You got to know what those things are in your life that are going to goof you up. Jesus said, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The Spirit, the Spirit of God that is in you is willing. The Spirit of God that is in you wants you to live a godly life, wants you to, to, to be faithful to your spouse. The problem is, is these bodies of ours, the, the headquarters of sin, Paul said, No. Good dwells in our flesh. So we need to stay alert. You need to be aware of the kinds of situations that tempt you, and then you avoid those things. Some of you are, are playing with fire. You know the places you shouldn't go, but you go anyway. You know some of the people you shouldn't hang out with, but you hang out with them anyway. Now, what do you do when you find yourself in a bad or tempting situation? You pray. You pray right there on the spot. You ask God for help, and then you call a good, godly Christian friend and say, hey, I want you to know, I, I'm just being tempted right now, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit worried. Would you pray for me? And men, you always talk to men. Men, don't you ever call a gal and say, hey, would you pray for me? You know, I'm really struggling right now. And ladies, don't you ever call a guy. You call up a godly Christian woman. And say, I just want you to know, I'm, being, I'm just being tempted right now. Would you, would you pray for me? In my humble opinion, in today's society, one of the biggest threats to marriage is the business trip. You travel alone, fly alone, you dine alone, you have stressful meetings all day, and then you go to your hotel room alone. That's just a disaster for, you know, crummy things to happen. There used to be a time in our culture when a company would never send a man and a woman together from the same company to go on a business trip. Never. And yet today, I find that happens all the time. And some of you may need to uh, rethink that and look at your boss and say, you know what, I appreciate this job, I love this job and all that kind of stuff, but you want me to fly you know, to so-and-so with this colleague and, and that's a woman or that's a guy and I, I, that ain't good for me. I don't want to do that. Take a stand. I think your marriage is worth it. Your children are worth it. The Lord is worth it. When you have to go by yourself to a, to a you know, on a trip or whatever, you know, you, you need to take pictures of your family, put them up everywhere, I don't know, go to the front desk and say, hey, why don't you turn my TV off? It's the 21st century, technology can do that. Don't, don't watch any of that kind of stuff. Call your family every night. Look, another great source of temptation are, are your so-called friends. The Bible says, don't be misled. Bad company, bad friends will corrupt good character. People who condone, you know, adultery or affairs or immorality or people who talk about lustful things, tell dirty jokes, aren't your real friends because they're not helping you. They're destroying you. They're putting crummy thoughts into your mind that begin to rattle around. You got enough to worry about. You got enough to deal with than people putting all kinds of crummy things into your brain. You need to make sure your friends are people who are really committed to their own marriages or their own life. They may have screwed up in the past, but you know what? They're saying, I'm committed. 
I want my next one to, to really be something special. Oswald Chambers said, a friend is someone who makes me do my best. N number five, when you maintain proper boundaries with the opposite sex, it lessens the chances of an affair. You see, most affairs uh, start between couples who know each other. A husband gets attracted to someone else's wife or vice versa. A husband gets attracted to someone they work with or vice versa, which means you have to be super careful about maintaining the proper boundaries with the opposite sex. God's word says this in Ephesians chapter five, since you are God's people, it's not right that any matters of sexual immorality or indecency or greed should even be mentioned among you. Beloved, you have to be super careful not to send the wrong messages to the people around you. There's a appropriate behavior and there's inappropriate behavior. Now let me give you a, a, a couple of thoughts as it relates to, to boundaries. Don't get involved in office shenanigans, okay? Be consistent, okay? If you claim to be a Christian, then act like one. Don't flirt with anybody. All, all you men out there need to read Proverbs chapter six and seven, which basically says that the first step toward a towards a downfall is when someone of the opposite sex affirms or flatters you. And I think that can go both ways. Number two, run from electric situations. We've all had those moments, every one of us, where oh, you're talking with somebody and all of a sudden, within you, you go, whoa, 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 whoa. You just know. You just know something's going down. What you do is you say, hey, listen, man, I gotta go, I gotta move, I gotta run, I gotta get out of here. And just get out of there, get out of there. Get out of there. Now your flesh will wanna stay there. The flesh will want to continue to allow that electricity to just kinda keep going. But you gotta be very careful. Um, uh, you gotta avoid prolonged stares, avoid lingering touches. I've told you before that, you know, one of the most intimate things you can do is touch somebody else's face. So don't ever touch anybody else's face unless it's your spouse. There's nothing more intimate than, than foreplay than, than touching a face. So don't do that, okay? And then don't listen to complaints about another wife's husband or another wife's, uh, or, or another husband's wife. Guys, if some gal in the office or somebody at the health club or somebody comes starts talking about, you know, what a loser their husband is, say, you know what, I, I don't want to hear it. You can go talk to a pastor, you can call a friend, I don't want to hear it. And walk away, go pump some iron. If somebody, if somebody, uh, ladies, if some guy comes up to you in the office or someplace, I don't know where, and starts talking about how crummy the wife is, you just need to say, you know what, I don't want to hear it. I'm not a counselor, I'm not a therapist, I don't want to hear this stuff. You need to go talk to somebody who's a professional and walk away. Uh, number six, when you magnify the consequences of an affair and you minimize the benefits, it lessens the chances of an affair when you magnify the consequences. Proverbs chapter six says this, okay? Let, let's, just, let's just see if we all get this. God says a man can hire a prostitute for the price of a loaf of bread, but adultery will cost him all he has. Wow. Whoa. 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 Let that sink in. Proverbs chapter six says, but the man who commits adultery is an utter fool for he destroys himself, he will be wounded and disgraced, his shame will never be erased. Listen, before you make the choice, listen, <laughs> and some of you might be right there, right now. And you're, you're ready to have an affair. I, I just want you to answer the question, is it gonna be worth it? Is all the pain and sorrow you're gonna bring upon your own life gonna be worth it. And by the way, I, uh, 30 years here at Big Valley, I've, I've met with lots of guys and gals who have committed adultery, and not a one of them would say, man, it was fantastic. Not one of them. They would all say there's a lot of pain and sorrow. You need to ask yourself, is, is the pain and sorrow I'm gonna inflict on my spouse worth it? Is the pain and sorrow I'm gonna inflict on my children worth it? Is, is dragging the name of the Lord Jesus Christ through the mud gonna be worth it? 
You see, you gotta magnify the consequences. I understand that, um, that there's a few minutes of pleasure. But it's the magnitude of the downside of it that you gotta think about. I can't tell you how many people I've had in counseling appointments who have said to me, Pastor Rick, I'd give anything if I could turn back the clock. Now I want you to know, as I wrap this up, that um, I've been tempted. I've had women who have tempted me, but by the grace of God, I've never had an affair, and I don't plan to have an affair. And let me tell you why. I'm gonna give you a couple thoughts here as I wrap this up. Number one, I'll tell you why I haven't had an affair. I love Jesus Christ too much. You see, I I know that I was a sinful person and I was heading for hell. (laughs) I I know what Jesus did for me. I know about the cross and the crud and the pain and the sorrow that he went through to save me. I know it. Jesus gave me a, a purpose in life, meaning in life. And I love him too much. Jesus said, if you love me, then you'll keep my commands. And his commands in this area are crystal clear. Jesus said, Rick, if you really do love me, then then you're going to keep my commands. So to say I love Jesus and then ignore what he says about sex and marriage and the parameters and all that, it's just hypocritical. Let me give you a second reason. I've never had an affair and don't plan on it. Is I love my, my wife and kids too much. Let me tell you. <laughs> I just couldn't imagine sitting down with my son, just way easier the last two hours, sitting down with him and saying, Son, your dad was unfaithful. Don't you know, it just, it, it makes me nauseous. Couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine that doing with my kids. One I didn't put on the list that I want to give you is this. I couldn't imagine one of our elders, Roger Swear, um, Pat Chavez, um, and there's probably others in here, I just can't see them. Coming up here, I've been here 30 years. I've buried lots of people. I've married lots of people, and I've watched those people grow up, and they've all had children, and some of their children I've now married. So long I've been around. I just couldn't imagine an elder standing up here saying, hey, I want you all to know that Pastor Rick blew God off he sinned and had an affair. Huh. <laughs> oh, I, I just, I just couldn't imagine that. When temptations come, I, I think about my love for the Lord. I think about my love for my family. I think about all of you. And, and then, last but not least, frankly, I just fear God's judgment. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. Look, Jesus is my friend. I, I got a great relationship with Jesus. You know, I love Jesus and, and all that, but, uh, but he's also God. And he's serious about his commands. He's serious about sin. In fact, he's so serious about sin that he had to send his son here for me, for you. And look, I love my kids. I love my kids. But each one of them will tell you that their dad has had to discipline them. Because I loved them. And I may be one of God's kids, but let me tell you something. That doesn't mean that I wouldn't be disciplined for my sin. And frankly, I want you to know, I fear that. I think about my love for the Lord. I think about my love for my family. I think about my love for all of you. But man, I'll tell you what. (laughs) I just 
no, I'm not all that thrilled about the discipline of God. Now, I want you to know there are two groups of people in here, and I'm going to wrap it up with this. The first group are, are those of you that have fallen. You've had an affair. Now, listen, like I told you up front, this message wasn't to bring condemnation or to put you down or to make you feel bad or to drudge up your past. That wasn't the point. If you've asked God to forgive you, he forgave you. He forgave you. And as uncomfortable as this message was, maybe that's just part of the consequence that every so often the preacher's going to stand up and talk about something that's just really crummy. But I want you to know you're loved by God and he cares deeply about you. But I also know that there's probably one or two or ten of you here and you know what? Maybe you're having an affair right now. And God's word to you is it needs to end right now. It needs to end today. It needs to be over today. And you know that already. The Holy Spirit has been speaking to you and somehow you've been able to suppress that. And here you are today and, and you're hearing God's voice loud and clear. It needs to end today. You need to call this person up and say, this is it. No more conversations. No more texts. No more emails. This is the end right now. I've heard from the Lord and I've been living in sin. Forgive me. Hang up the phone. And the beautiful thing about phones today is they have a thing called caller ID. And my favorite button on my phone is delete or ignore. I hit it a lot. It's uh, beautiful. I wish that I had that thing 20 years ago. My life would have been way better. You can see who's on the other end of the phone. And for some of you, that, uh, I want you to know, maybe the best thing for your marriage, the best thing for the kingdom of God is some of you may need to change your jobs. Maybe you work with the person. Better to change your job, better to change your career than to somehow keep goofed up with sin. Today can be a great day for some of you. I believe it's going to be. But I also know that there are some single people here too, and my, my, my word to you, God's word to you is this, is save yourself until you're married. Sex is a beautiful thing, and you need to save yourself until you're married. That's what you need to do. And maybe you've been goofed up in sexual shenanigans, and today needs a day. You say, you know what? I'm going to commit myself to God's standard of morality. And maybe you got to call your boyfriend or your girlfriend and say, man, I heard from the Lord today, and it's over with. No more of this kind of stuff. I'm saving myself until I'm married. And give that gift to the man that you make a, a, a vow with. Everybody in the venue, stand up. Everybody here, stand up, okay? Let me, uh, let, me, let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, today. And, and I know for most of us, God, this was just a great message, things that we can apply to our lives that will help us to be faithful. But I also know, Lord, that there are some here, and this is brutal, and may those people experience your peace and your love and your comfort. May they know that, man, I, I love them and I care about them, and I don't mean to be poking anybody in the eye, but this is some serious business, and maybe today they move out and they say, oh, I'm going to live differently. I'm going I'm to make sure I am faithful next go-around. Father, thank you for your word and how powerful it is and practical it is. And as we go to our barbecues and those kinds of things and have fun today, tomorrow, may we just enjoy your grace in our lives, your forgiveness in our lives, your mercy in our lives. I know I have got lots of junk and sin that I've, I've been forgiven from, Lord, and I'm grateful. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Okay, go grab your kids in a hurry here, okay? Go, 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 go do it.